Word of Grace. And it's just such a privilege to meet together as the body of Christ. For me, it's something I don't take lightly, even though this is my local church. Um, I still get really, really impacted. Each time I'm here, I'm like, Lord, you've called me to this group of people. Of all the places I could be on planet Earth, God chose for this to be my family. And I'm thankful for that. Oh, thank you. Um, over the last, now this is the third week, we've been going through a series called Grow in Grace. And I just, for those, because I see quite a few new faces here in the room. Uh, so what I'm going to do is quickly run through um, what I've covered so far. We're talking about the work of God's grace in his local church, specifically the work of his Holy Spirit. Now, um, Alan, who's also one of our teachers, and Bob have taken us through this whole summer. We've been talking through this whole idea of God calling us out of darkness for a relationship with him, to move forward with him, to grow in him, but not by ourselves. He's also called us to have horizontal relationships, not just our vertical relationship, but our horizontal relationships that feed and nourish the people God is raising up. Now, Alan took time to talk through the person of the Holy Spirit. So, I'm not, so some of the things that you might see me miss out while I'm talking, it's because it's covered in what Alan was talking about, who Holy Spirit is, why God in his, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, operate in perfect unity. There is no disagreement among them. There is no grades among them. There is a perfect union of oneness. And what God wants to raise up in his church is a oneness kind of thing. It's a one group of people who have very different ways of operating, very unique ways in God's amazing grace. So, come to this series. I've been talking about the whole idea of grace being more than just unmerited favor. Because that's something that we're commonly familiar with. That concept of grace being getting what I don't deserve. Mercy being I don't get what I deserve. Grace being I get what um, I don't deserve. But more than that, more than unmerited favor, I, I put, this was my spot here for anyone who wondered... This is where the throne of the king is. And grace being a word of favor from a king. So it's almost like someone who steps down into where you are at, who is at a higher position, someone who has higher access, higher authority to do things and says, I will give you favor. And I went through a few illustrations to explain how this favor is something that goes beforehand and opens things up so that you are able to walk through it. It's like someone who goes, very bad example, but you'll get the concept. Someone who has access to the country club. Now, most of us don't have access to the country club, unless you're just way more important than I am. But um, when you have that one friend who has access, they get to have a guest pass, right? I think most of us are familiar with the Y guest pass, right? If you, if you go to one of these institutions where there is access for members and no one else, 
and then they are allowed to invite someone together with them. Now, when God extends this favor to you, he gives you access to everything that he has access to. What does God have access to? You got to say it. That includes everything in your life? Okay. So if God has access to everything that includes everything in your life and everything that seems to be bugging your life or everything that seems to be a mountain too high, right? Guess what? He says, I have made a way, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is after talking about how we are saved by grace through faith. He says, this grace of God has opened up works that God has prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. It's not something that you try. It's not something that you can achieve by yourself, but it's something that God himself opened up. So that was week one. We talked about uh, the grace coming from a king who opens access to things that you don't have to try to achieve. You just walk into it. So there is a reliance on his access, not my access. There's a reliance on his power, not my power. There's a reliance on his ability, not my ability. So now, having received this grace from this king. He says, now think that way. So there needs to be a kingdom mindset because it comes from a different kingdom. We're so used to, oh my gosh, I've been in this job for how many years? I've been in this town. Nothing's changed. And there's a sense of cynicism that seems to be very rampant in our society nowadays. We love to think cynically. We, and this is just true of most people, we're usually our worst critics, right? You don't need anyone else to tear you down. You do that job really well. And as children of God, when 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 and 17 says, you are a new creation in Christ, the old is gone, so the old you, the person who's so struggling to... Make ends meet the one who's constantly worried about how their body looks or the one who's constantly struggling to make sense of how to raise kids. All of that, that person is gone and the new has come. Someone who has been given the mind of Christ. Someone who's been given a new way to live. But we would love to just dip back into, well, I guess God requires this of me. If God required it of you, then it wouldn't be His grace. Does that make sense? For it to be something that is purely His favor, purely His power, purely His ability, I have to practice the art of letting go of my agenda. I'm so used to getting my hands in there and saying, but if I don't do this, then I'm not being responsible. Am I telling you to not be a diligent worker or don't be a good mom or dad or don't save well, don't be good with your finance? Am I saying that? Absolutely not. But what I am saying is in all these things, I have access to a king who says I have access to all things. Not just your job, not just your kid. Everything that concerns your life, work with me. Walk in the favor and the beforehand kind of unpacking things which I have already done for you. Stop trying to make your own path. So that was those first two weeks. So now having walked through that, of having this new mindset, God wants to grow his church. And now we're coming back to some of these horizontal relationships. 
Because he, he's, he knows that as a king, he has to empower a people to live in his favor, to live in this grace that he has provided. Jesus calls us a city set on a hill. What do you mean? It is a, a bunch of people, not buildings, right? Because anyone who walked into this building today, does this building look really impressive from the outside? Some of us know this building really well, right? And what, it doesn't look impressive at all. It looks like a, some 80s community center from the outside, right? That's what it looks like. The, the point is not the building. The point is, for people out there who do not know Jesus, the people who gather in this space for a short period of time, when they're out there, in their conversation, in the way they operate, in the way their family operates, are so uniquely a city that looks like it's just shining from another kingdom. It doesn't look like the rest of us. In an in, in, in the pursuit of trying to be relatable to where everything's at, in where the world is at, and where our friends are at, we so want to not look like the weird kid on the bus. So you try to fit in by just mimicking everything that everyone else does. Wow, wow. You know what? What's the reason I'm, I have problems? Inflation, that's my problem. Guess what? Inflation is everybody's problem. But as a child of God, do you, who do you have access to? You can walk through a season of drought and famine. I mean, the Bible is full of these accounts. But still know the keeping presence of God in your family, in your marriage, in your job, or lack of it. He's not afraid of you losing your job. We are. He's not afraid that the stock market's going to crash. You are. I am. Do you understand? We are people who are so used to putting one foot in the kingdom of God, but then saying, but I live here. So, th I mean, thank, thanks. Grace is good and all. in all this grace talk. It's so nice. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughts. Bless you. But I got to figure this out. Bills due. I mean, end of the month is crazy, right? Because you have a lot of month left at the end of the money. And that's a crazy feeling. Because you're like, oh, how do I, how do I do this? How do I, guess what? God will teach us to walk step by step. Do we get there overnight? No. But are we willing to make the transition from saying, I need to live life to the fullest now by myself. The fullness of life comes from only God. So it takes a new way of thinking. In John chapter 7 and verse 38, Jesus says, and he was very clear that he wasn't like playing around with just metaphors. He wanted you to see that the work that he was doing was meant to be a resource, not just for you. So when you see this language here, Jesus is not just talking about something that really makes you feel good. 
He's saying, for anyone who believes in Jesus, out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Multiple, like, vibrant, life-giving water sources. Put it in a different language, right? Something that's not just a refreshment to me. It is something that restores and benefits my local church, my community, and guess what? The nations. If you were here last week, I brought us in on a little secret that none of us in this room are world changers. That none of us in this room are history makers either. These are all phrases that we've been trained to accept on face value like as if we were the big G's. Like God was somehow impressed that we had something to offer the world. Guess what? We all have something to offer the world and that would make us just like everybody else. Does that make sense? Because I know some really amazing people who have a lot of stuff to offer the world, but they don't know Jesus. So if you know Jesus, we're not just talking about being the best you. Are you hearing me? We're not talking about being the best you you can be. We're talking about the best Christ in the world can be. Greater is he who is in me, not me. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The enemy is doing all kinds of things in the world and he cannot hold a matchstick even up to the light of God's church. But the church needs to believe it. And stop trying to just be the better version of you. So what are we talking about? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Okay, let's do verse 5 first. Let's do verse 5. That's good. It's the context for verse 9. Everybody knows that Jesus is the cornerstone. We talked about that last week. Jesus is the cornerstone of this building that's being built. So it receives its form and its context for building up from that stone, right? If anyone's trying to understand what a cornerstone is. A cornerstone is that block that they lay, which gives them plumb lines for, from which they can write, make sure that the building is constructed correctly. And you all, each of us, are the brick, right? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a what? Spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I'm going to unpack that a little bit in a little while. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Is this a solo project? Is this house made of one brick? No. It's got lots of it. And if it's going to be one cohesive house, guess what? We have to learn to work together. And therein lies the rub. Literally. We're so close to each other, sometimes we're like, oh, I can't wait to be out of, just don't dig the way this guy does stuff. There are so many things that I, in, in the years that I have been involved with different churches and different continents, people do things so differently. My idea of what should be okay in church, or in church people in general, has been completely shattered many times over. And for us to remember, God is in the business of building a house that offers sac sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. 
And I stand there going, well, Justin just doesn't look right. Or Morgan, uh, I don't know. Her prayers just don't seem to take off, you know? It's not one of those prayers that you could get behind. you, You laugh, but secretly we've thought these thoughts. You know, I like it when this guy preaches. When Judah preaches, I don't know, that guy just keeps moving his hands about and I just don't get what he's talking. We get into our little favorite modes of how God should work in my life. So grace, good and all, but I'll decide how much grace I'm going to take. And it better be in the right package. It better come with a cup of Starbucks or whatever. And then I'll be okay. God says, no can do. You're in my kingdom. You got to work with my people. I'll send my guy. You can't tell me, I'll bring my own guy. He says, I'll bring my guy. And when we build, we're going to build together. So grace ambassadors is this concept that I want to unpack a little bit for you today. When God gave us the work of his Holy Spirit, when he gave us his Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when I go, I will send to you another helper. And he will be to you just as I was to you. He will be the teacher to you. And he will take everything that I have said and he will unpack it for you. And that verse that we just read in John chapter 7, Jesus was saying this regarding his Holy Spirit who was about to come. Whom they had all not yet received. So when he told them to wait in Jerusalem, he wasn't just talking about a bunch of people who could then write Bible text. He was talking about a movement of simple believers saying, Lord, I come to you and receive what you have given to me. Last week we talked about faith working, right? Grace working through faith. Faith is simply the act of saying, I bank on your faithfulness. That what you say is trustworthy. All the exhortation we received this morning, that even that little teaching as well we had, all of these things were to give you a context for saying, what you say is trustworthy. So I can put my hand in your hand and say, I do. Remember, I gave you the illustration, for those of you who weren't here, I gave the illustration of a wedding band. When we go into a wedding covenant, we have two people standing there, right? And they say, do you? I do. I do. And there's lots of tears and all that. But guess what? It's not just empty words. It's not just an empty two-word kind of thing. It's you saying, I exercise faith. If you were to put it in Bible language, you'd say, I choose to exercise faith that you will be faithful to this covenant. So I do trust. That is a faith act. So for grace to work in your life, you have to say, I do. And put your hand out and say, what is it that you have? What is the resource that you have? Who are the people that you have? What are the words that you are going to speak that I'm going to say yes to? Because guess what? Sometimes it's going to come in really, really odd packaging. Like your 10-year-old. He's shaking me. Just sit down. Ooh. But dad, this is something that I really felt like what you said there was really not good. 
right? It's the grace of God coming to you through one of his people. But you feel like this fourth grader, fifth grader better sit down quick because I've lived life. <laughs> Let me tell you. And another thing. You know, it's one of those. We get into those kind of modes. We put our defenses up because we feel like the grace of God coming to us has to be in a package that I respect or I think is worth my attention. And Jesus flat out goes against that grain. He says, I will choose the foolish people. The, the guy you think is an idiot, that's the guy I pick. So that I can confound the guys who have PhDs and who have the best positions, who are called pastor, so-and-so with 1,500 letters before their name. and all. Those are the guys you need to receive from. And guess what? We will pay big money to go and fill arenas to listen to such people. But the little old lady who sits next to you in your local church... Hmm. Do you see what I'm getting at? Okay, I'll leave it there. 1 Peter 2, 9. Let's go to that verse. So the people he called, he's not just looking at your outer appearance. He's not looking at your outer appearance. He's looking at your inner quality. Something that he has fashioned. Something that he has created for good work. And what does he call us? Together. For you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the language of a king calling people into his court. This is, so I want you to picture that. So if you were to picture the word grace, you've been given the grace to have an audience with a king. And he says, I now give them almost like the knights of the round table kind of thing. I give them the closest access to my council. You're not just a doorman somewhere. You're not just somebody in the outer reaches who who shovels horse poop. We've seen those things, like over the last few weeks, you've seen a lot of horse poop, if you ever watched any of the Queen's funeral. <laughs> and there are people whose job it is to just do that. You're not just somebody in the kingdom who does menial tasks. He says, I bring you in to a place of not just favor, because having a job to shovel stuff like that is still a favor. But he says, no, 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 no. I call you my closest friends. Jesus said this. And I do what I do right now because I love you as my friends. I'd love to lay my life down for you. So this is the context that you and I have for walking with God. You are a royal priesthood. Priests are meant to offer before God. 
to worship God, to offer sacrifices before God. If you write down Romans 12, 1 and 2, you will see a context for these, the, this context of God has prepared you to give offerings that are pleasing to Him. Isn't that our prayer? Lord, I want to do something that pleases you. How do I please you with my life? I'll show you how. Rely on the grace that I have given and submit yourself to the work of my spirit. It's an I do statement. It's not a how can I be the one that you notice has been serving. No, no, no. It is all your work. I simply say I do and I'm willing to partner with you wherever you take me. John chapter 13 verse 16 and I, this is, I want to swiftly move, I want to switch gears here because I want you to see that Jesus when he calls people, he calls people into operating from a position without the position. We are used to a world where position predicates function. Whereas in the kingdom of God it's the other way around. Function must always precede position. So you can't be a CEO first before you get to figure out how the company works. He says, figure out how the company works, and then I'll make you a CEO. Okay? That's what that means in simple language. So he says over here, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave or a servant is not greater than the one they serve. Nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. He gives us this context of him being the servant who was sent. And then he talks about his disciples. Because they were in, this, in the middle of trying to figure out where they stood. A lot of these guys, they, they were just like you and me. Am I doing a good job? You think I'm, I'm like your favorite, not so favorite, second, third? Where, where do I? And Jesus wanted them to carry a different heart. And being the one who serves, he was saying, I'm serving from a position that comes directly from the master. And this is around the context of him washing Peter's feet. So he was washing all of his disciples' feet and he was like, no, Lord. He was trying to be all cute. He was like, you cannot wash my feet. I should wash your feet. He's like, hey, chill out. Don't try and get the object lesson going here. You will not understand what I am doing unless you take this on. And he, then he says this statement. It has to be a work of grace for everyone else to operate. Otherwise, you're just reaching for a position of, I need to be noticed. He says, if, you as, if I as your master can wash your feet, he says, I'm setting for you an example. In John chapter 15, verse 20, this is an, a few chapters later, the great thing is we're going to get to study this in life groups. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So he's recalling this account of him washing their feet. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep your word also. So he is handing off almost like an authority, uh, an access and also an ability to do things that will literally mirror everything that Jesus went through. And he's saying, guess what? It comes from my position, but it's coming in the context of servanthood. 
So even though we have the access of the king, even though we are a city set on a hill, do we walk around? How does it feel to be in the dark? We got the light. No, 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 no. I've set before you an example to serve the people who are far off. And in the church of God, serve with this manner. Not in the context of, I'm, more, I'm the one in position. I'm the pastor of this church. So I will tell all you little peanut gallery people where to go and sit and do. No, 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 no. That's not how it operates. He says, these are all my people. They all have the position that comes directly from the master. So you better operate with each other in that context. Serve. The context is serving. Matthew 23 verse 8 says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Because there's this context of people setting themselves up as, well, I'm the guy who really teaches all these dimwits how you know, God really works. These guys don't really get it. I'm the guy who really has a special knowledge. He says, no, no, no. You don't get to call anyone in your midst teacher. You have one teacher. And you're all brothers. Call no man father on earth. For you all have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors. For you have one instructor. Who is the Christ. The anointed one of God. The greatest among you. Shall be the servant. Whoever exalts himself will be brought down. And whoever lowers himself or humbles himself will be exalted. You see this upside down kingdom way of operating? The mindset it requires to be a child of God has to be totally different. So what we call great, he says, that's the perfect place for you to serve. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Learn to be the one who serves the best. I'm just going to give you a few verses for your own reading to, to see this context. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. John chapter 14, verse 26. This is all talking about the work of His Spirit coming to empower just a bunch of common people. Not the people who went to seminary. Not the people who have degrees behind their name. It is the people of God who simply say, I do. And to such a people, He says... I will disclose my heart to you. You will know my heart directly from me. You don't have to wait for a church meeting to discover my heart. So it's in that context, he says, I'm building you into a spiritual house. It's in that context, he's saying, I've called you a royal priesthood, a people who each of you can serve in high honor. But honor is not what you're after. Serving is what you're after. Do you understand? So when he says, I see you all as bright stars and amazing gifted people who will serve as the lowest one. It's a fight to the bottom. <laughs> does that make sense? So not for a second does he say, oh, you're just a speck of dirt and I chose to use you, you, you useless little thing. No, he doesn't come at you that way. He says, I see you as the most highly favored ones. Now use that position as a servant. And I have set for you an example. Jesus himself did it. 
And he modeled it all the way through his life. Every single place where people, there were, I'm telling you, there were so many PR guys around him. Very often, he would have one of these PR guys come, like, Jesus, this, is, this whole bre bread and fish thing, we could make this go global. <laughs> and he, he was like, no. He would always get out of these places where they would draw attention to him. He says, I must only do the work of my father. There were times where he was on a roll. He was on a roll. He could have taken that tent meeting and made it last another few days. Healed a couple thousand more. See more lives saved. This is the problem I have with the modern church movement, where we feel like just adding more because it works is good. Stuff working in the church doesn't mean you need to carry it on. The issue is, does God by His Spirit live here, and when He says something, do we respond? But we need a Wednesday meeting. We've always had a Wednesday meeting. Is that what God wants us to do? We never asked. I mean, it, we, He told us that 25 years ago, and it's been good ever since. If we never ask the question, and we're talking that, that just about church. But what about your own home? The things you do, where you spend your money. Does God have access to these things? Or it's one of those things where, well, the Bible talks about a tithe. We'll figure out that what, what's exactly 10% down to the cent that God's, ask, God's trying to extract out of my paycheck. Let me figure that out, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Or with my kids' education. Oh, well, you know, this, this is the Christian values, that, and that's what we... Guess what? You don't know the first thing about how to raise kids. I'm, I'm here to tell you that, if you're a parent. If you choose to operate on parental understanding and not the Spirit of God, you will just do what the world does. All the effort you put into raising a Christian kid in a secular world, you could do all the things. You could homeschool them. You could send them to the right Christian schools. You could get them the right kind of tutors. Make sure you check their phones constantly. Guess what? You will still do what the world does. Because Christianity is not going to save your kid. You're sitting in this room, you know Christianity didn't save you. Ask yourself those questions really hard. If you have not met with Jesus yourself, nothing's going to save you. If the grace of God is not operating in your life by His Holy Spirit, where He is able to get your ear and say, Son, daughter, this is my heart. Even though this looks right, it is not right. Stop chasing the open door. Stop chasing the thing that looks Christian enough. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do. The posture of the idiot is a wonderful place. I have learned that. On things that I think are my strong suit, and, that's, and I've shared this before with our church. There are things that I know are my strong suit. There are things that I'm really good at. 
And those are the places where I need to come back to him and say, Lord, what do I do here? Because those are the places I'm prone to running at 50 miles an hour. I will just get at it. Say, no, Lord, I'm used to asking you for stuff I'm totally stumped by. And that's what I meant in that context earlier when I said, if someone comes to me with big questions of life and you don't have a knowing relationship of Jesus first, I will always tell you to go back. Because it's, am I being mean to you by saying we're not going to, God's not going to answer this prayer of yours when you're in the midst of distress? But the problem is that's not where you can grow the relationship. You're basically sending out Hail Marys kind of thing. And that's the context a lot of people have for prayer, have for encounters with God. It's all this kind of last ditch effort. Whereas God has called us to growing together in the context of receiving from this relationship. So I'm going to lay this groundwork for next week. In that, God has given us people that are sent. And that's why I use the word ambassadors. The, in, in the Bible, this word is the sent ones. But it's a word that's often tainted in our culture. It's the word apostle. To be apostolic means to be people that he can send. Can God send you anywhere? And he calls all of us an apostolic people. People who can take his message and carry it. Did you see in that verse he says, the messenger is not greater than the one who sent it? It's that word apostle. It's the word, the messenger or the ambassador has contained within that message everything that that kingdom needs to, to establish something. So he's given to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, when Jesus ascended into heaven. So I want you to see this here. This is not during the life of Jesus. This is not the people who followed Jesus. This is after Jesus left. He gave the gift of his Holy Spirit. And the church was born. And to the church he gave. Apostles. Prophets. Evangelists. And the shepherd and teachers. Depending on how you read it. People read that as shepherds and teachers. But it's in the context of. A gift that operates often together. Shepherds and teachers. And you will start to find that this is one of the few places, and this version translates it as shepherds. This is one of the few places in the Bible, two in fact, where the noun pastor is used. Pastors don't appear anywhere in the Bible really. It's the concept of shepherds. It's only in the American church and the global church where we've decided we need one guy to to make our guy. He's our guy. God never made the church to operate on the gift or the calling of one person. So in this grace that has been given to the church, he calls people to be apostles. I will unpack all these things next week. Prophets and the pastor teachers. 
and evangelists, right? These four groups, primarily, some people call it five. But what are these people given for? Read the next verse, verse 12. And these people are given to equip who? The saints for the work of the word ministry there is a word, is a Greek word, diakonos, which means, did that, did that word ring any bells? Diakonos? Does it remind you of some other word? Deacon! Woo! So guess what? To equip the, who? Equip the saints for the work of deaconing. So who are the deacons? Don't look at me. I'm looking at you. Do you understand? We have got used to specific offices, and we will talk about that in, a, in, a, in, in these meetings. But I want you to understand, it's an everybody thing. The heart that comes in the kingdom of God is one where everyone is a servant. And that's that word, diakonos. Okay? That's the word, the word which is also translated as the word servant. So the one who serves, the one who ministers, is called a deacon. But then there are specific people who are set apart for a specific kind of serving. Okay? And we will talk about that later. But what is the goal? That all of this equipping for service is for what? The building up of the body of Christ. Do you see that? Are you prepared to be someone who takes a, an important, vital role in building up this local body? God will give us people who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to do what? To equip all of us together as fellow servants, as fellow serving people who learn to use the grace of God to build up the body of Christ. And what happens at the end of this? The next verse says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. What that is saying there is, God wants to build us up and imagine a person being put together. You're not left in your infancy stage. You're not left in your toddler phase. As the church together, we grow into a mature adult that contains within us the fullness of what Jesus has done is always available to the church. Okay? That's what you need to understand. The fullness, not the halfness, not that we're, we're becoming like Jesus kind of analogy. We're not becoming like Jesus. Jesus contains, is contained in all of you. The work of Jesus is full. There's nothing missing. The issue is, do we live in the measure of the fullness of what God has given us? Or do we set it down? Do we say, no, we'll just, we'll be happy with three songs and a message. We're good. 1120, Club Grace Kids has started up. We got to wind up. Right? And we got to remember that even though there are certain things, time-wise, other things that, you know, we need just one specific teacher to teach us the lesson. Guess what? God has called all of us servants. Each of us need to minister in the grace that God has given us 
in the fullness of Christ. We don't have the halfness of Christ. And that's, that's the thing I really want you to see. We're not playing at becoming more like Jesus. Do you get that? We're not trying to become more like Jesus. If you have received the work of Jesus, you are in Him. You cannot be more in Jesus than you already are. What you can be is more yielded to the work of Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, let's just close here. Because next week I want to get into, within this people gifts that he has sent specifically, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip all of us in the context of us working together. So I will unpack a few of these things just so that we see where they fit in. And then how God uses the rest of us to work together. And it will never be in the context of position. What is the thing God pays attention to? Function. Can we write that down for yourself? God always talks about function. And to those who function, he often gives a position. Position will never precede someone functioning. Does that make sense? And this, to be totally honest, this is something I believe the workplace, when it works well, honors this principle. You never give someone authority who doesn't know how to function properly under authority. You never give someone responsibility who doesn't know how to operate in the responsibility that was given to them. So all of these things are in the context of running a good working body or a good working team always needs people who are not in it for themselves. If you're in it for yourself, guess what? The church is going to fail. We'll end up with big personalities and big egos. So what God is calling us to do is, for growing in the grace of God, we need to submit that He will send people. He will send His guy. So ask the Lord this week, who is your guy? Who is your person? Is it my little kid? Is it my wife? Is it my husband? Is it my teacher? Is it somebody that I need to call? Who are you calling me to go to? And who are you sending to me? That I might receive from the grace of God and work in the grace of God. Amen.